All right, Shabbos, say good morning. Let us begin. Begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning shir. To thank our Tamatora sponsor for the month of Adar Beis, Leah Sol, for dedicating all the shiurim and drashos this month in honor of those who organized our beautiful groundbreaking and those who give so much to the shul each and every day. To thank our Dafyomi sponsors, Paul and Kathy Pollack. In gratitude to Moshe Abramson and all of the other tech-savvy members of this year who go ahead and give up their time each and every day to make sure that Baruch Hashem, those who are learning on Zoom and YouTube, are able to participate. Baruch Hashem, it is an incredible, I think we've all seen the Mestiras Nefesh that goes into it, especially over the last couple of days. Sometimes, you know, when things are working well, we take everything for granted. But when we realize all the things that can go wrong, we recognize how much people, how much effort is involved. So Maishi, Jeremy, all those who help out, thank you so very much. So we'll say with that, let us begin. So Mazel Tov on reaching our last day of Meseches Chagiga and Seder Moed. So today's daf is Chav Zayin. We are actually beginning on Chav Bab Amadalev. I don't think this has ever happened throughout my time. Okay, to start on the previous daf's Chav Days is one, Amad Days is one thing. But to start, we are starting at the bottom of Chav Vav Amud Aleph, but it's okay. It's only a short, uh, short Chav Zayin. We have a really a beautiful, magnificent daf ahead of us today. So we'll see, we are continuing in the sugya regarding Tumas Am Ha'aretz. And so the Mishnah says as follows, Kitzad Ma'avirin Al-Taras In the last Mishnah, which we kind of sped through at the end of yesterday's shir, so the Mishnah spoke about the idea that when Yom was over, they would go ahead and they would purify the utensils inside of the courtyard of the Beis HaMikdash. So the Mishnah says, Kitzad Ma'avirin, how does that work? Kitzad Ma'avirin Al-Taras How do they go ahead and purify the utensils of the Beis HaMikdash? They would go ahead and they would immerse all of the utensils inside of the base HaMikdash. Now we'll see exactly what all actually means. So the, but they said to them, that we'll say, who's the them? If you look at Rashi, remember again, I will say the typical Jew did not have access to the utensils inside of the base HaMikdash. But there is another issue, which is on the Regalim, all of the Kohanim were invited to come serve in the Beis HaMikdash. Remember again, throughout the rest of the year, the Kohanim were divided up into various shifts. So 24 Mishmoros, each Mishmar comprised of multiple Bate Avos. And so it turned out that each family really only served in the Beis HaMikdash for approximately one week out of the year. The Regal and the Yom Tovim were different in that everyone was invited to come and serve in the Beis HaMikdash. So in, in, on Regalim, you had an issue, not just of typical Ameha Oretz who were coming and converging on Yerushalayim, but you had an issue of Kohanim who were Ameha Oretz. Now, I will say, a Kohen who's an Amaretz could do a lot of damage because ultimately, if he's not careful, if Tomantara and he's entering into the Beis HaMikdash, what is, so they said to the Kohanim Ameha Oretz, Hizaru, be careful, be careful, Amadeis, Shalotigu Bashulchan. Whatever you do, don't touch the shulchan. The shulchan, remember again, was the table upon which they situated the shobar, the lechem upon him. So he said to the kohanim, Aris, be careful, do not go ahead and touch the shulchan. Now go back to Amad Aleph just for one moment to look at Rashi. Hizaru shalotigu b'shulchan, last Rashi and Amad Aleph. Shaloyuchlu lahat bilo laachar haregel. We're going to see the problem with the shulchan was every other utensil could be immersed after Yom Tiv. The shulchan could not be immersed. Now Rashi says over here, she esher salko mimkomo. 
you're not allowed to move the shulchan outside of the Beis HaMikdosh. Dechsiv bei lechem panim lefanai tamid. The Torah, when discussing the shulchan, tells us that the shulchan has to be tamid, constant, constant. There can never be a moment where the shulchan is not situated inside of the Beis HaMikdosh. So therefore, again, there was no ability to remove the shulchan, immerse it, and then bring it back. So because that, we had to do anything and everything in our power to ensure that the shulchan would not become tamay. So therefore, they made an announcement. Kohanim, Kohanim, don't touch the shulchan. Don't touch the shulchan. Good. Let's go back there. Says the Mishnah, Kol HaKilim Shoei B'Mikdash. We'll say, Chav Vav Amadeis 26b, top line. Kol HaKilim Shoei B'Mikdash. All of the utensils that were inside of the base HaMikdash, Yesh Lahem Shniim Ushlishim, they had backups. They had backup, backup utensils, which makes sense. In other words, something happens to the first utensil, you want to make sure that you have backups for each of the utensils. This way, again, if for some reason a particular kli, particular utensil became ritually impure, you would have a backup to be able to use. Similarly, again, all of the utensils inside of the Beis HaMikdash required tvila. Now, I'll say this goes back to the first part of the Mishnah. After the Yamim Tovim were over, after Yamim Tov was over, they would immerse the utensils in the Beis HaMikdash. So which utensils does this apply to? So the Mishnah says, all of the utensils, with the exception of Chutz, Mizbeach Hazov, Mizbeach HaNechoshes, with the exception of the golden altar and the copper altar. Now remember again, the golden altar, is the Mizbeach HaKitores, the inner Mizbeach used for incense offering, that was the Mizbeach which was situated inside of the actual Kodesh. And the Mizbech HaNechosh is what we call the copper altar, was the large altar that was situated outdoors that was used for animal sacrifice. Now, both say, why don't these two Mizbechos require immersion? Because at the end of the day, they are like Karka. They're treated like Adama, like earth. Look at Rashi. Interestingly enough, so we're going to see the Torah refers to these Mizbechos as Mizbech Adama. Now you know anything that is either Karka itself or Mechubar Lekarka does not contract Tumah. Not contract Tumah. Therefore, again, the Mizbechos ultimately, again, have the status of Adama and therefore Halacha Lameisa cannot contract Tumah, and therefore, of course, do not require immersion. Divrei Rabbi Eliezer. These are the words of Rabbi Eliezer. They don't require immersion. Why? Ultimately, again, because they are plated, or because they're covered. We'll have to explain exactly what that means in the Gemara. Beautiful, I will say. So really, an incredible and overwhelming Gemara. Really, I should say, an incredible and overwhelming Mishnah. Such a beautiful, beautiful idea. So it says the Gemara, I will say, Mishnahis like this are always especially beautiful because they give us a window into how the Beis HaMikdash was run. And that's always exciting to be able to have a little bit of a window into something that we haven't had for so many thousands of years, but yet we desperately pine for each and every day. Says the Gemara. So Tana, Hizaru, Shema Tigu B'Shulchan Abba So I will say, so remember again, our Mishnah spoke about the idea that they would make an announcement Right, they would make an announcement to the Kohanim, and they would say to the Kohanim, really specifically targeting the Kohanim who are Ame Haaretz, do not touch the Shulchan. Do not touch the Shulchan. Then I both say, there's a Braisa, 
And the Braise has a little bit of a different version. The Braise says, Hizaru Shematigu Beshulchan Ubaminora. In the Braise, it actually says that the announcement they would make was, Be careful, don't touch the Shulchan or the Menorah. Or the Menorah. I asks the Gemara Vitana Didan, my time lotani menorah. I so say, so why doesn't our Mishnah include menorah? Right? Why why doesn't it include menorah also? Why does it why does it just say shulchan? To which the Gemara says very simple. Shulchan ksiv beitamid, menorah lo ksiv beitamid. So we'll say it's a very simple idea because our Tana, our Tana is worried about the following, which is you can't have a mikdash that doesn't have the shulchan, right? Why not? Because the Torah uses the word tamid, right? Constantly, consistently, in perpetuity with the shulchan, which means you don't have the ability to remove the shulchan, to immerse it, should it become tamid. Therefore, the only way to properly deal with the shulchan is to ensure that what? To ensure that what? It doesn't become tamid in the first place. The Torah doesn't have the word tamid by menorah, which tells me that what? What's the worst case scenario? If the menorah becomes tummy, then what? Take it out, immerse it. That's why our Tana doesn't include it. Take a look at Rashi. Menorah looks very tummy. Now, this is actually very interesting. Rashi says, Kilomar, Timidin ha'amura b'menorah, lo tummy yoma v'layla, ela tummy milayla lilayla, ki tummy da'amar ba'olas tummy. O bechavite koin gadol. Aval biyom lo hayadolik, dime erev ad bokexid. The Rabbi said, here's what's interesting. There is a certain continuity or consistency that's written by menorah as well. By menorah, it says, Me'erev ad boker. Now, I will say what that means is the menorah is kindled every single day, and the menorah had to remain kindled, Me'erev, from evening until the morning. But during the daytime, or really up until what we'll call Mincha time, the menorah was not kindled. Right? The menorah was not kindled. So, therefore, again, even though the menorah had an element of consistency, in that it was utilized each and every day, and utilized each and every day for a block of time, it doesn't have the same timidos, the same consistency as was required by the shulchan. So Rashi, thinks, Rashi says, therefore he says, so So because menorah itself was really only needed for a particular block of time, should it become tameh, you do have the ability to remove it, to immerse it, and then put it back into service in time for that evening. However, says Rashi, Here's what's interesting about the Shulchan. How was the Shulchan used? How was the Shulchan used? The Shulchan was used to house the Lechem Aponim. The lechem upon him has to be constantly out, right? In other words, it, it's ever-present in the mikdash. As such, there's never a point in time during the day where the shulchan is not needed. So it, it, it's fascinating to see, and this to a certain degree makes the shulchan different than every other utensil in the mikdash. In other words, every utensil in the mikdash was used each and every day, but it wasn't used throughout the entire day. The shulchan was the only utensil, right? Think about it just a moment, right? You have the mizbechos, right? Were the altars used every day? Yeah, absolutely. Were they used every moment of every day? No. It could be that they were, you know, remember we saw this, we said this concept that we don't like the mizbech to be idle, right? So we always like, 
But, but Lameisa, you don't have to use the Mizbeach every moment of the day. The menorah, used every day? Yeah. Used every moment of every day? No. As such, the Shulchan was unique in that it was utilized every moment of every day. That's what it means, Tamit. Sef said, for our purposes, what that does is something fascinating, which is you can't remove the Shulchan from, from the Beis HaMikdash. So because of that, they have to put out the announcement, don't touch the Shulchan. Now, I will say, now I'll just, this also helps, happens to make something, this also happens to make sense of something else, which is, on one hand, the Mishnah said, the Mishnah said, they, they would tell the Kohanim, Ami Aris, don't touch the Shulchan, right? Because you can't move the Shulchan. What was the next line of the Mishnah? The next line of the Mishnah was, they made backup utensils, right? Backup utensils. So if that's the case, you should also have a backup what? Shulchan. And I will say, why doesn't having a backup shulchan help? Because think about it just a moment. Even if you have a backup shulchan, what does it disrupt? It taught me. In other words, I will say, it's very nice to have a backup shulchan. What do you have to do when you have a backup shulchan? You got to take off the lechem upon him. You got to go. In other words, there's a disruption. See, I will say, continuity means just that. It means there's no break. There's no break. Something is, because you say, for us, the greatest thing that we struggle with, let's be honest, is... Continuity and consistency. None of us are consistent all of the time. That, that's just the nature of being human being. That, that's the greatness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What, one of the things that makes the Ribbono Shal Olam so unique is his consistent continuity. There's no break. We cannot replicate that. I could be good. I could have a streak. I could have a streak. Right? And I can maintain some level of general continuity with certain things but even my continuity is never really continuous. I strive for it, I struggle with it, but it's very difficult to maintain. So again, this is what's incredible. So therefore the Shulchan, if it has to be Tamid, Tamid is only accomplished when there's no break, which means it can't become Tamid, because even though I could replace it, in the moment that I'm replacing it, there's a break in the continuity. Okay, so therefore again, I'm about to say, so back to this. So therefore the Gemara says, why doesn't our Tana include Menorah? So our Tana doesn't include Menorah because Menorah doesn't have the same level of continuity like the Shulchan has. So the Gemara says, And what? I didn't say that for what? Oh, okay, yeah. I'm saying, what does that have to do with this? <gasps> right, they're, 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 correct. In, in the Mikdash, let me say it differently. In the Mikdash, you could find other examples of continuity. That was the whole chap of the Mikdash. The Mikdash was the house of Hashem. The Shekhinah always resided between the Kruvin. There was a lot of continuity in the base of Mikdash, but it comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That, that's the point. It comes from Hashem. So the Gemara says as follows: Betana didan, my time alone time menorah, shulchan ksiv beitam menorah lo ksiv beitam. Veidach kevan dechsev veas hamenorah nochach hashulchan keman dekasev beitamid. So I'll say that's fine, but why does the Tana of the Brice include menorah then? So the author of the Brice will say, the author of the Brice will say that by menorah it says veas hamenorah nochach hashulchan. It says that the menorah is opposite the shulchan. Then I will say, what does that teach you if the menorah is opposite the Shulchan? So our Tana will say, That's as if it therefore says, Tamid by menorah as well. I, what will the author of our Mishnah say? 
No, no, no. When it says that the menorah is opposite the shulchan, that's not coming to teach continuity by the menorah. What is that coming to teach? Very simple, location. It's coming to tell you where the menorah is situated, right? Which is Pashat Pshat in the Pasak. Where do you put the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash? Opposite the Shulchan. Now, now watch this. Watch this. The Sefuklei, now say, so here's what's interesting. So remember, we're in the Mishnah, we're being told that when, during the Regalim, when all the Kohanim come, recognizing that they're even, so say, you know, sometimes when you go through the Sugis of Ame Haaretz, you often think that Ame Haaretz are just the Israelim. It's important to understand there are plenty of Kohanim and Levim who are Ame Haaretz also. Just want to put that out there, right? It's enough with this uh, elitism. Right? Plenty, plenty of Kohanim and Levim who are Ame Haaretz also. So we'll say, so therefore again, the Mishnah says, we tell the Kohanim, don't touch the Shulchan. Okay. So the Gemara says, I don't understand. The Shulchan shouldn't become Tameh even if the Kohanim Amaratsim do touch it. Do you know why? The Seifuklei, the Seifuklei, I will say, the shulchan is a wooden utensil that is meant to remain at rest. Right? That is meant to be stationary. Look at Rashi. Even if the kohanim amaratzim would touch the shulchan, I will say, listen to this. So the Gemara says, I don't understand. Let the kohanim touch the shulchan. Who cares? The shulchan is not going to become tummy for another reason. The shulchan is a wooden utensil that is meant to remain stationary. So the Gemara And any wooden utensil that is meant to remain stationary is not mekabel tuma. Now, why is that? My timer dumya disak, but you know, because we will say when it comes to tuma. When it comes to when it comes to tuma, so the Torah goes ahead and says mikokli eats. Obeget or osak. So it's, what's interesting to note is as follows. When the Torah speaks about the ability of a utensil to be makabal tumah, the Torah goes out of its way to enumerate examples. And one of the examples the Torah enumerates is a sock. What's a sock? What's a sock? Exactly, it's not a sack. A sack. So the Gemara says, listen to this. Masak Just like a sock, just like the sack can be carried both full and empty. Afkom metaltel mali so to the only type of utensil that can be makabal tumah, ultimately is a utensil that is carried both empty as well as full. To which I will say, to which the Gemara says, but the shulchan is not carried. I mean, remember, I will say, don't get caught up with the fact that in, during the times of the Mishkan, the shulchan was carried, right? Because remember, it's about the base HaMikdash now. What do you do with the shulchan? What do you do with the shulchan? You put it in the base HaMikdash and you leave it there. So it is a wooden utensil. It's interesting that, again, we'll talk about why the Gemara is calling the Shulchan a wooden utensil. We'll talk about that. Again, I'll tell you right now. Because you must remember, again, the Shulchan is made from wood, coated with gold, plated with gold. So the Gemara assumes right now, we'll challenge that just a little bit, but the Gemara assumes that because it's really made of wood, it's considered to be a wooden utensil and not a metallic utensil. We'll challenge that in just a moment. But the Gemara is saying, I don't understand. The Shulchan shouldn't be Makabal Tumah in general. It is a wooden utensil that is meant to remain stationary. And any wooden utensil that is meant to remain stationary is not in the Kabul Tumah. So let the Amaratsim touch it all they want. It's not going to matter. To which the Gemara says, maybe the Gemara says, The truth is, the Shulchan was also carried when it was full and it was empty. 
Why? Listen to this. This is so beautiful. What does the Pasuk mean when it says that you shall place the Lechem Aponim ala Shulchan HaTahar on the Shulchan HaTahar? What does that say? Atar. Michlal Shu So what does that sounds like? The Shulchan could become Tameh. The fact that it calls it Shulchan HaTahar, anything you have to call Tahar sounds like what? It has the capacity to become Tameh. But why would the Shulchan become Tameh? Va'amai. We just said the shulchan should be a wooden utensil that is meant to remain stationary. So we'll say, what do you see from here? They carried the shulchan. They moved the shulchan. It was not a stationary utensil. Why? We'll say, this is so incredibly beautiful. We saw this in Yuma as well. We'll say, listen to this beautiful Gemara that during the Regalim, during the Regalim, you know what they would do? the Kohanim would lift up the Shulchan and they would bring it out and they would show the people, Shemagbiyan also, Umarin Bola Oli Regalim Lechem Aponim. Bose, listen to what they would do. They would pick up the Shulchan because remember the Shulchan had poles. Shulchan had poles. They would lift up the Shulchan and they would bring out the Shulchan that of course had the Lechem Haponim on it, the showbread, and they would show it to the people who came to make the Shulchan. And they would say to the people, Ru'uchi Baschem Lifmeha Makom. See, how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves you. Siluko kisiduro. Because the same way the bread goes on the Shulchan is the same way the bread comes off the Shulchan. So I will say, Rashi says, Siluko kisiduro. Siluko lo Shabbos haba cham kiyom siduro. Right? I will say, I just point out over here, this fascinating Machlokis Rashi and Tosis. Rashi says over here, Siluko kisiduro means the same way the bread went on the Shulchan on Shabbos, hot, warm, right? Even a week later, it was still warm. Tosfis argues, Tosfis says, if you look right across, Tosfis says it wasn't warm, it was soft. It was soft. Okay, an interesting machlokis. Tosfis holds that Lechem HaParam did not retain its warmth, it just retained its softness. Pashat Pshat is like Rashi, that it retained its warmth and its softness. So I will say, what would they do during the Regalim? This is so incredibly beautiful. They would pick up the Shulchan, they would bring it out to the Oli Regalim, and they would say to them, see how much Hashem loves you. Siluko kisidur. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, kisiduro kach siluko. Ultimately, again, the same way, the same way that it's put on the table is the same way it was, put, it was taken off the table. In other words, it was put on hot and it remained hot. Shine'emar, losum lechem chom biyom, lechem chom biyom hilakcho. Quotes over here, the Pasik from Shmuel, losum lechem chom, to go ahead and place on it warm bread like the day it was removed. So I'll say, this was the great miracle of the Lechem HaPanim. So I'll say, so first of all, let, let's focus. What does the Gemara say? So therefore, I, now I begin to understand why the Shulchan is Mechabal Tumah. That even if you want to say the Shulchan is treated like a kliyat, like a wooden utensil. I thought that it shouldn't be Mechabal Tumah. Why? It's a kliyat ha'asui linachis. It is a stationary wooden utensil. And a stationary wooden utensil is not Mechabal Tumah. How do I know that a stationary wooden utensil is not Mechabal Tumah? Because the Torah says, in order to be makabal tumi, you have to be like a sack. Like a sack. Like a sack. Sack is movable, both when it's full and when it's empty. So to any utensil, only that's movable when it's full, that it's empty is makabal tumah. So if it's a wooden utensil, that's not meant to be moved, it's not makabal tumah. To which the Gemara says, the shulchan is moved. 
When is the Shulchan moved? Rabbi say, can you imagine this scene during the Regalim? They would pick up the Shulchan, show the Ole Regalim, See how much Hashem loves you. Look at the miracle of the Lechem Aparnam. Look at the miracle of the showbread. It goes on hot and it remains hot. So we'll sticking at this Gemara, just to pause you for just a moment. Out of all the things, right? Can you imagine? So the Kohanim are trying to illustrate the love that Hashem has for us with the Lechem Aparnam. I don't know, like, it, it's interesting. Don't get me wrong. It's a fascinating miracle. But how does that show the love that Hashem has for us. In other words, they both say, Lechem Aponim is great for the Kohanim, right? If I'm Yisrael, I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm not feeling the love, right? I'm hungry, right? I, in other words, I, I haven't gotten anything. So, and I will say, and, and think about this kind of like, going back even to what Greg mentioned before. There's so many miracles in the Beis HaMikdash. So many miracles that occur and yet, again, we don't say, right, the H tumid, right, the fire comes down. The Quran don't say, see how much Hashem loves you because look, there's a constant fire that comes down. Why is the love of Hashem particularly manifest in the miracle of the Lechem HaParam? I will say, perhaps, the way to read the Gemara is like this. I will say, imagine this scene for just a moment. The Quran would bring out the Shulchan. And on the Shulchan, on the Shulchan, was the showbread. Right? And when you looked at the show, when you looked at the bread, looked at the lechem upon him, according to Rashi at least, you would still see the steam, right, coming off of the bread. And perhaps the Chacham were saying was like this, From this bread, you can see the way Hashem loves you. It's not that the bread is an expression of God's love, but the bread provides us an insight into the nature of the love that Hashem has for us. How so? I'll say, what's the nature of love? What's the nature of love? Right? Love, the way it often starts is it's exciting. It's passionate. It's filled with warmth. And then what often happens as time goes on? Right? It cools down. It cools down. The, right? The nature, the nature of how much it cools down depends on the relationship. And this is true, by the way, even in, even in the most wonderful love relationships, right? How often does it happen in marriage that, that a relationship starts so passionate, so exciting, so, so warm, so, right? so, so much heat. And then what happens? The, you hear this all the time. We lost the spark. We lost the this. Still in love, still together, still committed. But the, the, the heat of the relationship is not there. The Kahanim are showing Cloud Yisrael. Do you want to know what's unique about the love that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has for us? See in this bread, the bread is not the expression of love because the bread doesn't impact me. I'm just a guy standing in the crowd. But through the bread, I see the nature of how Hashem loves us. Just like the bread always retains its heat, the Ribbon Shal Olam always retains his passionate love for us. See, I both say, it's not always reciprocal. I'm not always passionately in love with God, to be very honest, right? On any given Tuesday, I, might be kind, I may be kind of like, eh, in my relationship with Hashem, right? And I may not be so passionately committed, and I may not be so involved, and I'm not head over heels about a Kaddish Baruch Hu, but at the end of the day, Hashem is always passionately in love with us. Hashem is always on fire about us. The heat, the intensity, the passion of the love is always there. 
Ru Chibasrem Lifnei Hamakam. See how Hashem feels about you by looking at the Lechem Hapana. And I both say, isn't that incredible? Isn't it incredible to know that I have a God who is always passionate about me? And even when I'm not passionate about Him, and even when I'm even like a shtickle checked out of the relationship, and even when I'm not really all that engaged or all that excited, He is like the Lechem Hapanin. He is always on fire and passionate about me. That was the lesson that the Kohanim wanted to show the Ole Regal. See, I was saying, sometimes we forget this because sometimes we have the incredible disservice of looking at Hashem as a God who's ready to patch us if we step out of line, and a God who's willing to rain down the full fury of heaven and earth if we don't go and do what we're supposed to do, and that is a flawed conception of God. Does God punish? Absolutely. Is there accountability in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? No question. But the dominant feature of the Ribbon Shalom, the thing we have to focus on and instill in our families more than anything is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves us. And He loves us in a way that no one else could love us, even your parents. Right? Think about it. So those of us who are parents know, let's be honest, there are times you love your kids more and there are times you love your kids less. Right? I always love them. I always love them. But sometimes the love is not exactly so passionate. But Lameisa, that's never true with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The love is always intense. So let's go right there. So the Gemara says, Ella, V'seifokle Mishum Tzipoy. I know we do have to finish the daft today. V'seifokle Mishum Tzipoy. I will say, so one second, why isn't, I don't understand. They both say, now we're, now we're kind of reversing a little bit. Then obviously the Shulchan is Mechabal Because you've been calling the Shulchan a wooden utensil. But the shulchan is coated in gold. That's a metal utensil. See, I'm say a metal utensil, even if it is stationary, right, is mekabel And now all the more so that we see it's not stationary. So of course the shulchan is mekabel It's coated with metal. Because we learned, say if you have a table, shulchan is a table, or dulfaki is a type of chair. Rashi says it's a foldable chair that's made from leather. And now what happens? So I both say these items, let's say you diminish them so that they're no longer fully usable. Or you coat them in marble. You coat them in marble. I both say, if you coat something in marble, it becomes like a stone utensil. And stone utensils are not kosos. And if you leave over enough space on the table or on the chair that you can put down a cup, meaning so in other words, there's a functional part of the table or a chair that can be used that's uncoated, tame, ultimately is tame. So you say, what is this trying to convey? If you take a wooden utensil, which is not makabotoma, I'm sorry, which can be makabotoma, let's assume that it's mobile, and you cover it with stone, the covering makes it into a stone utensil, and therefore it's not makabotoma. But however, that only works if you fully cover it. Right? If you leave a part of the table exposed, so exposed, let's say, how much of the table, enough that you can put down a cup, it's still considered to be a wooden utensil, and it's mekabal tumah. So Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says, Makam so Rabbi Huda says, no, it's not just enough for a cup, you have to leave enough of the table exposed that you can put down pieces of meat or pieces of bread. So I will say, what's the point? Why is we're bringing this up? Because if I have a shulchan that is made of wood, and I coat it with gold, what's the status of that table? What's the status of the table? It's a metal utensil. If it's a metal utensil, therefore what? It's makabal tumah. So therefore, again, yes, it was right for them to tell the Kohanim, don't touch the shulchan. To which the Gemara says, 
Well, maybe you'll say it's different. Why? Because the because the the um, the shulchan was made out of ase shitim, acacia wood, and acacia wood is chashuv, right? And maybe you'll say that the wood is not bottle to the gold, right? And therefore, again, maybe it retains its identity as a wooden utensil, despite the fact that it's covered with gold. Hami lakish the amarloshanu ella. Bikli ach salgis ach salgim. Sorry, haba medina sayam. That this is true. No, as I was saying, when you coat a wooden utensil with, let's say, in this case, it was stone, that it becomes a stone utensil. That's only with ordinary wood. They're calling it again ach salgim wood that comes from overseas. Aba bechlim samim lo bakli. But I will say, if you make if you make it, for, but if you have you have a klim samim. So again, this is a higher quality wood. That wood is not a bottle at all. And even if you were to cover it with stone. It would still retain its identity as, as a wood utensil. So perhaps that makes sense. Maybe the shulchan, because it's made out of acacia wood, which is very chashiv, even though it's coated with gold, does not become a metallic utensil. El Rabbi Yochanan da Amar Afilo Bekli Misamim Nami Batli Michael Neymar. But according to Rabbi Yochanan, who says that Allah even if you have chashiv wood and you cover it with stone. So the kli takes on the identity of the coating. So what is there to say? In other words, I will say, what is there to say means that the shulchan should be treated like a metallic utensil, be makabal tumah, because it's coated with gold, even if it's made out of expensive or chash of acacia wood. El, sadigmar sevichitema, kan betzipoy omeid, kan betzipoy she'en omeid. Well, maybe I will say, maybe even when it comes to coated utensils or plated utensils, there's a distinction as to how the plating is arranged. I will say there's what's called tzipoy omeid and tzipoy she'en omeid. I will say tzipoy omeid means plating or coating. A coating is that there are young saying, I got an overlay that is affixed in place with nails versus plating that kind of just sits on the wooden utensil. And they want to suggest maybe, maybe that look is like this. When does the utensil take on the identity of the plating? When? When the plating is fixed in place. But if the plating is not fixed in place, it kind of just sits on the clee, perhaps ultimately, again, the clee retains the identity of the primary material it's made of. Now, I will say, if that's the case, then what would be the identity of the shulchan? What would be the identity of the shulchan? It would be a wooden utensil. Why? Because the plating of the shulchan was not fixed in place by nails. So therefore, again, I will say, the Gemara says, the Gemara says, Supposed to listen to this. So they asked this question from Does it make a difference with plating? If the plating is fixed in place or not fixed in place, does it make a difference ultimately again if the plating covers the edge of the shulchan or not? To which Rabbi Yochanan responded, no. It doesn't make a difference if the plating is fixed in place. If the plating is not fixed in place, doesn't make a difference if the plating covers the edge or doesn't cover the edge. I will say, when you have a utensil that is covered with another material, the utensil takes on the identity of the coating. Of the coating. And therefore, I will say, and therefore, again, I will say, but I point out, if you remember again, back in last cycle of Dafiomi, we had this discussion in Mesechas Avodah Zara, 
where the Gemara discusses the concept of a clay kunya, clay kunya coated utensils. Now, in Avodazara, we were talking about this for halachos of kashros, for halachos of kashros. I will say, in other words, let's say you have a coated utensil. Does the first for kashring that utensil? Do we identify the utensil by what it is by 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 the primary material? Or by the coating material, and I will say this can make a dramatic, dramatic difference in terms of how you treat certain utensils in halacha. But again, leaving that on the side. So I will say. So therefore, the Gemara is suggesting over here is just to follow the progression. The Mishnah said we tell the Kohanim Amiya Aretz don't touch the Shulchan. Why don't we want them touching the Shulchan? Why not? So that they don't make it tummy. The Gemara began by analyzing and say, I don't understand. The Shulchan really shouldn't become tummy at all. Why? It's a Kli eight, right? It's a wooden utensil that's meant to be stationary. We kind of take that off the table by saying it wasn't stationary. They picked up the Shulchan. They showed it to everyone. Now the Gemara goes the opposite. The Gemara says, no, of course the Shulchan becomes Tamei. Because the Shulchan is considered to be a Kli Mateches, a metal utensil. Why is the Shulchan considered to be a metal utensil? Why? Why? Because it's gold-plated. So I will say, now we're going through this whole discussion of, well, maybe, maybe... Something is only considered to be a gold utensil if the plating is fixed in place. Or if the plate, to which the owner says, no, it doesn't seem to be true. It seems to be that as long as you're plated, right, even if it's not fully plated, it sounds like, right, but as long as you're plated, then halakha lemaisa, you are considered to be a metal utensil. And if you are considered to be a metal utensil, then it makes a lot of sense in the Mishnah why they told the Kohanim, Amiya Aretz, don't touch the Shulchan. Because the Shulchan really was capable of becoming Tameh. To which the Gemara says, to which the Gemara says, Ella shiny Shulchan, rather perhaps again the Shulchan is different. Rabbi Osei, Kapov, Chavzayim, Dirachmana, Karye Eitz. See Rabbi Osei, here's what's interesting about the Shulchan. The Torah itself, what we're going to see, it's not the Torah, but rather again. So we're going to see that the Pasuk, the Pasuk in Yechezkel, calls the, calls the, Shulchan eights. It calls it eights. So the Gemara says, "Dixiv hamizbeach eights shalosh amos gavoa gavoa shalosh amos gavoa va'arko shteim amos umiktsaosovlo va'arko v'kirosav eights va'idabreilai zashulchan asher lefnei Hashem." Shabbos so said the pasuk over the Gemara is quoting Yecheskel, and the pasuk interestingly enough calls the Shulchan eights. It refers to it ultimately again as wood. So I will say, so here's what's interesting. Rashi says, Rachmana Kariyeitz, Af Kishu Mitzupa. So I will say, so really what the Gemara is saying is like this. From a pure halachic, what we call like the halacha yevesha, from a pure halachic perspective, you're right, the Shulchan is a klimatachas. But here's the problem. I have a pasuk in which, again, the Navi refers to the Shulchan as being a kliyeitz. So therefore I will say, based on the fact that it's called the kliyeitz, I might have thought that it doesn't become tame. Now, Kamash Malon, even if it is a Kli'etz, it does become Tameh. Why does it become Tameh? Why? Because it's moved. Because it's moved, right? Because remember, the only time, excuse me, the only time that a wooden utensil doesn't become Tameh is if it's meant to remain stationary. But Lamaisa, because this utensil is meant to be moved, therefore, Allah Lamaisa is Mechabal Tumah. So we'll say now, the Gimara, so therefore, we'll say that, that just before we go on, that effectively brings the sugya to an end. So now I understand why they told the Kohanim Amea Aretz, don't touch the Shulchan. So remember again, even if you have it, let's, let's pull this all together. Even if you have a backup Shulchan, we still don't want the Kohanim touching the Shulchan. Why not? Why not? 
Because again, if you have to remove the shulchan, what do you, what do you ruin? What do you ruin? The tamid, right? You ruin the consistency. So therefore, we tell the Amiyaris, don't touch the shulchan. I, why does the shulchan become tamid? So I'll say, so again, either because it's called the kliates, right? It's, it is a wooden utensil, but it's moved, right? They would move it during the regalim to show the pilgrims, right? The beautiful love of HaKadosh Baruch Hu has manifest in the lechem upon him. Right? Or the second possibility is that halachically it's really considered to be a klimatechas. It's really a metal utensil. Okay, so once I said that, that concludes the sugya. Now the Gemara says, by the way, Pasach b'mizbeach v'siyim b'shulchan. This Pasach in Yecheskel is very strange. Why is it very strange? Because Rabbi say the Pasach begins by talking about the mizbeach and it ends by talking about the shulchan. Now again, the topic over here of the Pasach is the shulchan. But why does the Pasik begin by calling the Shulchan the Mizbeach, and then ultimately at the end of the Pasik calling it the Shulchan Abosai, to which this is a beautifully magnificent Gimara? Rabbi Yochan Reishlakish Tami Tarbayu. Rabbi Yochan Reishlakish both said, Bizman Shebeis Hamikdash Kayum, when the Beis Hamikdash stood, Mizbeach Mechaper Al Adam, we achieved atonement through the Mizbeach. So when the Beis Hamikdash stood, we achieved atonement through the Mizbeach. Achshav, Shulchano shel Adam mechaper alav. I will say now, in the absence of the Beis Hamikdash, my table, my shulchan atones for me. Now, how does my shulchan? How does my table affect atonement? Rashi says shulchano mechaper alav b'hachnasas archin through hospitality. Ultimately, again, when I have guests at my table. Hachnasas Archim has the ability to be Mechaper. I will say, take a look at Rashi. Shulchan Hashal Adam Mechaper. The Godel Koach Haligima, Tosa says. Because ultimately, again, the power of Hashal Ligima literally means swallowing. Right? But ultimately, again, Godel Koach Haligima. Right? Ultimately, again, power. So, Bepashtos, Bepashtos, it's the power of hospitality. So, I will say, let's talk about this just a moment. Why does Hachnasas Archim have such power? I will say, but it's like, Think about this just a moment. That, that Lamaisa, the Gemara says, when the, when the Beis HaMikdash stood, so the Mizbeach was Mechaper. Now that the Beis HaMikdash does not stand, does not stand, so therefore again, it's the power of Hachnasas Orchim that is Mechaper. So I'll say, so on a, on a basic level, what was the power of the Mizbeach? I'll say, the power of the Mizbeach was Akach HaMa'achid. Remember again, I'll say, this is really an incredible thing if you think about it. When, when there was one Beis HaMikdash, we've spoken about this many times, and you had to bring a carbon, I'll say, where did you bring your carbon? Where'd you bring your carbon? There was one address. There was one address. I, but you know, I, I don't daven at that base I make dust, right? I daven at the one down the block, right? I daven at the shtiba, I daven in the basement. Now I go to, I go to this minion, I go to that minion. No, I say, there was none of that. In other words, the power of the Mizbeach is that it was the Koach HaMa'achet. It brought all of Klal Yisrael together. See, I will say, sometimes we think about like, what is it that we miss? When we have a base, when we don't have a base hamikdash, what, what? Think about this for just a moment. What is it that we miss? And what we, we really miss is the achdos. What we really miss, one second. And by the way, think about this just a moment. I, I mentioned this on Shabbos. I will say we're watching what's unfolding in in Ukraine, and we're watching and we're hearing all of these stories about the Jewish communities in Ukraine. I will say I don't know about you, but I find it overwhelmingly startling that until a week ago. I had no idea about these communities. No idea about these communities. No idea. I, I, did I know that there were Jews in Ukraine? Yeah. Did I know that there were orphanages? Did I know that there were systems of yeshivas, chadar? 
No, how, how could that be? We live in such a connected age, right? We know everything about everyone before they even know about it, right? How is it that we live in such a... And I, Jose, that's what it means to live in Gullus. You see, when you live in Gullus is, I'm over here and you're over there. And I know about the stuff that's happening in my Dalaramas, but it's just I have no idea what's happening with anyone else. And I certainly don't know what's happening with Achim Ibn Israel in Ukraine. So Jose, when there was a Beis Hamikdash, three times a year, everyone had to get together. So you were in the Beis Hamikdash and you see a whole group of people that you never knew before. Where are you from? Where are you from? You know, what, what, kind of like what, what happens when you run into a Jew on vacation, right? It's an incredible thing. People you would never talk to, right, when you're, when you're in town. Suddenly, again, you meet another Jew on vacation. You're like the best. Some people run the other way when they see other Jews on vacation. But if you have to avoid Jews on vacation, it probably means you're doing something wrong. Right? I was like, but, 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 but Lamaisa, right, is, that's what the base Hamikdash was. It brought everyone together. So again, were your best friends? He goes, of course not. But Lamaisa, like, I knew that there were Jews in Ukraine because they ultimately were coming to the Beis HaMikdash as well. So the, in, the, in the absence of the Beis HaMikdash, there is, a, there is a sense of dispersion. And dispersion literally means, I don't know what is happening in pockets of Kalal Yisrael. So how do you bring Jews together? So the Gemara says, your table. Your table. Your table could be used to affect incredible, incredible achtos, which I will say tells me something absolutely amazing. The power of Hachnasas Archim is not with your friends. Your friends know that you love them. Kind of the same thing with Shalach Maris. You don't have to give Shalach Maris to your friends. They know that you love them. The power of Hachnasas Archim is opening your home and opening your table to people who you don't yet know. To people who are not yet in your circle. To people who perhaps exist on the periphery. To people who perhaps are sometimes marginalized. The, the Shulchan replaces the Mizbeach. The Mizbeach brought Klal Yisrael together, and now it's my job at my Shulchan to go ahead and bring people together. The Shulchan replaces the Mizbeach, Rabbi Osei, because it is the power of Achtos, it is the power of bringing Jews together that affects Kapar, that affects atonement. Yes, I'll just point out something interesting. Tosfus calls Hachnasas Archim, but he calls, he calls Koach HaLegima. Now, Legima, Legima literally means what? Swallowing. Well, because I'll tell you something amazing. If you want to properly perform the mitzvah of Achnas Asarchim, there's one skill you have to learn, which is how to swallow. What, what does that mean? See, I will say, successful Achnas Asarchim requires you not to respond to everything that's said at your table. Because if you really have a cloudy Yisrael table, and you have people from different places, different, inevitably, someone's going to probably say something offensive and someone's probably going to say something inappropriate, and someone's probably going to say something that you definitely do not agree with, and the power of Hachmas HaSarachim is swallow. Let it go. Because there's, a, there's bigger fish to fry, right? You don't have to be right. The goal is, let's get everybody around the table. I will say, can you imagine what the world would look like if we stopped focusing on being right, and we just focused on being together? Yeah. How much better Klal Yisrael would be, and how much better... At the end of the day, the world would be. That's why Tosis calls Chachnasas Archim the Koach Halagima. You want to be Chachnasas Archim? 
you better learn to swallow because otherwise you're going to have a very difficult time tolerating other people sitting around your table. I will say such a profound and beautiful Gemara. Let's go to the end of the Sigur. We'll say, here we go. So we'll say, remember again, all the other utensils in the base of Mekdash had backup utensils, secondary, third. So we'll say, remember again, the Mishnah said, however, there were two utensils that you don't need backup utensils for. And they were the copper altar, right, which was what we call the the outer altar. The used for animal sacrifice and the Mizbeach HaKitoras, or the Mizbeach HaZav, the golden altar, which was the inner altar used for incense. Says the Gemara Mizbeach HaNechoshes Dechsev, Mizbeach HaDama Ta'aseli, Shabbos says, so the copper altar, which was the outer altar, is the Torah refers to it as Mizbeach HaDama, an altar of earth. Now we'll say that means it was attached to the ground, right? It was t- not, not literally attached, but it sat on the ground. The fact that the Torah calls it HaDama tells us that it is not Mikabel Tzuma. Mizbeach HaZav, and I've said by the golden altar, so the Torah refers to the altars, right? Plural. Ultimately comparing the golden altar to the copper altar. Just like the copper altar, right? The outer altar is called Mizbeach Adama, an earthen altar. So to the Mizbeach Azav is also called Adama. And therefore, Halacha Lemaisa is not Mikabel Tuma. Incredible. No, the altars were not Mikabel Tuma. Why? Because. Because ultimately, again, they were coded. They were, right, they, they were plated. So the Gemara said, I don't say, Adarabo, came in the Mitsupin and Numitamur. We'll say that, that's actually an argument against. Because they're coded with metal, right? The outer one with copper, the inner one with gold. I will say, that's what would make them what? That's what make them what? Receptive to Tumor, right? In other words, the Mishnah reads like that, Ham saying, oh, they're not Mechabal Tumor because they're plated. No, just the opposite. The plating is what makes them receptive to Tumor. To which the Gemara says, mm-hmm. It could be that the way to read the Mishnah is the Chachamim are arguing, and they're saying, unfortunately, the, right, the altars are Mechabal Tumah because they are plated. Ibai, so the other possibility is, we'll say, first wide line, Chavzayna with Aleph, Ibai, Seymah, Rabbonon, Rabbi Loz, Rabbi Eliezer, Kamri. This is Rabbonon speaking to Rabbi Eliezer. Maidaiteich, Rabbi Eliezer, what's your logic? Right, so the Gemara says, Mishum de Metzupin. Maybe you'll say because they're plated. No, 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 don't worry about that. Miftal batal tzipuyan gabaihu. At the end of the day, their plating is batal to the primary utensil. Even though they are plated, halacha lamaisa, again, there is not a problem of tumah because halacha lamaisa, their plating is batal to the, to, to the primary material. Okay, we'll say, either way, the way Paschal Halacha Lamaisa is that the Mizbechos are not Mikabel Tumah, right? Both the outer Mizbech, the inner Mizbech, either because, like we said before, that Halacha Lamaisa, well, it is because of what we said before, because they're Klei Adama. At the end of the day, they're attached to the ground, they're considered to be like Adama, and therefore they're not Mikabel Tumah. Incredible. I will say, we come now to the end of Mseches Tchagiga and Seder Moed. I will say, here we go. Beautiful, beautiful Gimars. I'm Rabbi Abba, I'm Rabbi Lazar, Tam Chachamim. Ein ar shal gehenem shalat esbahem. So i listen to this. Tamidi chachamim, the fires of gehenem have no effect on them. The fires of gehenem cannot impact on chachamim. Is there a greater argument to become a Talmud chacham than this? We, let's start working. We're all, we're on the way. Each of us are on the way. So I'll say, right, if you're a Talmud chacham, so the fires of gehenem have no impact on you. The Gemara says, Kavachomer misalamandera. It is a Kavachomer from the Salamandra. What's the Salamandra? Rashi says, So the Salamandra is some type of creature that is created from fire. 
So apparently the salamandra is a creature that is created from a fire that has been continuous for seven years. Okay, I don't know. So anyway, it says salamandra, it's the kavachom salamandra, umas salamandra, she told us, eishi, the salamandra itself, which is created from fire, hasach midamo ein or sholetes bo, apparently, if you smear yourself with salamandra oil, it protects you from fire, right? Fire resistant, the oil from the salamandra. So ultimately, again, tamidi chachomim, shekel gufanish. So the salamandra, which is a creature that comes from fire, if you smear yourself with its oil, it protects you from fire. Kabachomra tamid chacham, shekel gufanish. We'll say tamid chacham, his entire essence is fire. His entire essence is fire. Hello, kol divarika eshnu um Hashem. The Pasuk says, Hashem says, all of my words are like fire. Vos who spends his life learning Torah. And Abbas, I want to be clear, Tam doesn't have to be someone who is always learning. A person could be a Tam even if they have a day job. But the point is that Tam is someone who makes Torah a focal point of his life and applies himself to Torah. So ultimately, again, he occupies, he ingests HaKadosh Baruch Hu's words, which are fire. The Torah is fire. The Torah is intensity. The Torah is passion. The Tamit Chacham, I will say, is someone who becomes Kulo Eish. He becomes all fire. All fire. That's part of Tamit Chacham. So I will say, if one who smears themselves with the oil, right, with, 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 the, with the oil of a salamandra that comes from fire, is protected against fire, Allah has come of a come of one who makes the focal point, the primary part of their life, the occupation of Torah, the assimilation of Torah into themselves becomes complete fire. Becomes complete fire. I will say, when I work on becoming a Talmud Chacham, when I make Torah a primary part of my life, it's not just the pshat that I become holy, I become fire. I become fire. I become totally consumed with the fire of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And I will say, if that's the case, then I am protected against the fires of Gehenna. It's the fires of Torah which protect me against the fires of Gehenna. Absolutely incredible. But say, how does the Gemara end? Listen to this. Amrei Shlakish. This is pretty incredible. Listen to this. The fires of Gehenna can't touch even the sinners of Israel. So I'll say, isn't this incredible? It's great news, by the way. Right? So apparently Gehenna is empty. Right? So, right, so Gehenna can't go ahead and touch the Tamdi Chachamim. And Gehenna can't even touch, can't even touch Poshe Yisrael. How so? This is a Kavachomer from the golden altar that was made from incense. That was made for incense, excuse me. But so listen to this. But so listen to this. The golden altar, the Mizbeach Chazov, which was the inner altar used for Ketores, actually only had a very thin gold coating. It was a very thin gold coating. Yet despite the fact that there was a fire kindled on top of that Mizbeach each and every day, the fire never eroded the gold coating. So one tiny little layer of gold protected the interior utensil, right? From fire, from fire. In other words, the, 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 the coating itself was never warped or never ruined by the fire. 
So the Gemara says, so I'm sorry. Mamzi Chazav Shein Alav Elak Ovid Dinar Kidot Sheino Elak Ovid Dinar Zav Kamasham Eino Arshalat Tisbo. So if the golden Mizbeach, which only had a very thin layer of gold, all of those years the fire had no impact on it. Poshe Yisrael Shemaleim Mitzvos Kirimo. We'll say even the sinners of Israel, even the sinners of Klal Yisrael, who are filled with mitzvos. Like a pomegranate is filled with seeds. Like the Pasik says, the Pasik says, quoting the Pasik from Shira Shirim, which literally means, like the section of the pomegranate are your towers. Rakasech is a contraction of two words. Ultimately, again, the empty ones in you. So I will say the way we read the Pasek is, Kepela harimon, like a section of the pomegranate, Rakasech, Rekon and Shabbat, are the empty ones. Even the emptiest of Jews. Even the Poshe Yisrael, I will say, Poshe Yisrael, that's not just like recreational sinners, right? Those are habitual offenders, right? Even the habitual offenders, Poshe Yisrael, are filled with mitzvos. Karimon. Our film is a screen I will say, Allah has come of a comma. Supposed to hear what's happening over here? If a tiny little layer of gold could protect the Mizbeach, right? Could protect the Mizbeach from the fire that was kindled on it each and every day, then the voluminous amount of mitzvos, which even the greatest Jewish sinner has, protects that person from the fires of Gehenna as well. So ultimately, again, the Talmud Chacham is protected from the fires of Gehenna because Lamaisa Torah's fire, the fire of Torah, protects against the fire of Gehenna. For even Poshe Yisrael, even those who are filled with Averos, like a pomegranate is filled with seeds, are protected from the fires of Gehenna because of a thin layer of gold can protect against fire. Allah has come of a kama, what mitzvos can do for even the greatest sinner. Allah has come of a kama. But I'll tell you just an incredible, incredible hashkaka pratis. Ridiculous hashkaka pratis. Last night after, after Smichas Chavar, I just had a few minutes, I was sitting down to take a look in the Sefer Be'erach Chaim, written by Ramelech Biraman, the son of Lola Vareva. And I was looking, he has a beautiful piece on Purim, which I was looking at, I'll say, listen to what happened. Listen to what happened to me. It's not a Rebbe Shemaisa. It's just a, but I'm sitting down. It's late at night. I'm looking at this piece in Purim. What does he quote? He quotes the Gemara Meseches Chagiga Daf Chavzai. I'll say, sometimes I wonder to myself, like if I'm in the right profession, profession right? Hey, I should have stayed in accounting, you know, should have something, I don't know, a lot, lot less stress. A little, right? so, so, so then what happens? Later, I see this Gemara. He quotes our Gemara in Daf Yomi. And he says, Poshe Yisrael Shemalin Mitzvos Kirimon. Quotes this Gemara about Poshe Yisrael sinners who are filled with mitzvot, like a pomegranate is filled with seeds. And he quotes something so beautiful. The Rebbe, Rebbe Menachem Mendel Vitebsk, asks, I don't understand. If someone is filled with mitzvot, like a pomegranate is filled with seeds, why are they called Poshe Yisrael? It doesn't make sense. It's inherently contradictory. How could someone be called the sinner, right? Poshe Yisrael, if you're filled with mitzvot, like they will say, there's a simple answer. The simple answer is because we all know this very well. I can be filled with mitzvos, 
but yet I sin up and down like no one's business. In other words, it's not contradictory. I do plenty of good things, and I do plenty of bad things also. That's the way most of us live life. So I said, but I'm not going to because it's so strange. Mali mitzos karimon rabose is such a strong lotion. So how is it that I'm mali mitzos karimon, yet still called poshe Israel, yet still called a sinner? Bose, listen to what the Rebbe says. He quotes in his Sefer Priya Aretz. Bose, this is wild. With this, we're going to end. Kiachin melei mitzos. A person could be filled with mitzos. Aba biglal she'ein lahem simcha shal mitzvah. But if you don't have simcha in your Yiddishkeit, you're Poshe Yisrael. Doing mitzvos is not enough. Doing mitzvos is the first step. But how I do those mitzvos and how I approach my Yiddishkeit is equally as important. There has to be simcha. There has to be simcha. There has to be joy. There has to be joy in my learning. There has to be joy in my Shabbos. There has to be joy in my tefillah. There has to be joy in every single thing that I do in my avodah Hashem. Otherwise, says the Rebbe, if there's not joy, I could be mali mitzvos karimon. I could have do so many good things, but I could still be called poshe Yisrael. We'll say, and that is the concluding lesson of Meseches Chagiga. And Rebosai, what beautiful bookends. Remember again, how did this Mesechta begin? I don't remember. How did this Mesechta begin? Hey, good. No, I'm looking at Moe Cutton. Sorry, both in one. Rebosai, remember again, what were the opening words? The opening words. Hakol Chayavim Right? Ultimately, Rebosai, how did we begin? How did we begin? With ultimately, again, Yamtiv. Shami Chagiga, Shami Simcha. And how this, this Mesechta begins with a discussion about the obligation to be besimcha on Yamtiv. And how does Mesechta end? With the obligation to bring simcha to our Yiddishkeit. I will say sometimes we get focused on what we do and we forget to also focus on how we do it. Doing great things is an incredibly important accomplishment. But doing great things without the requisite emotional accompaniment, doing great things but doing it because I have to and not because I want to. Doing great things, but not really feeling a sense of simchan, what it is that I'm doing, leaves me like a pomegranate that's filled with seeds. That's fantastic. But unfortunately, still like poshe. So we have just finished a mesechta. We just finished Seder Moed. I know that it's late, but I'll end with this. So I'll say, what a beautiful accomplishment. We're about to start Yivamas in Hashem. Start, start Yivamas. I'll say, I've heard a lot of chatter about Yevamas, right? And usually it goes something like this. Oh, Yevamas, Yevamas. Osei, do you see what the parting lesson of Mesechus Chagiga is? Simcha. Osei, Yevamas is going to be great. You know why it's great? Because it's the fire of Torah. Do you know why it's great? Because every single word is Olam Haba. Do you know why it's great? Because it's great. Because if we approach things with simcha, then they're the most magnificent things that ever occur. We'll say mazel tov on this incredible accomplishment. Mazel tov on finishing this mesechta. Mazel tov on the completion of Seder Moed. And we'll say, may we be so chemer Hashem to take this last lesson. I don't want to live my life just being a pomegranate filled with wonderful seeds of accomplishment. Because then I run the risk of having accomplishment, but not having simcha. I want to have accomplishment. I want to be the pomegranate filled with seeds. But I also want to live a life that is filled with beautiful simcha each and every step of the way. May we find the simcha 
in our accomplishments, and in Yeretz Hashem, the Simcha, in the accomplishments to come. Mazel Tov.